Hello and welcome back to Everyday Oral Surgery. This is your host, Dr. Grant Stuckey. I'm an oral and maxillofacial surgeon practicing in Denver, Colorado, and I really appreciate you tuning into the episode today. Thanks to all those who have emailed and texted me ideas about topics for the podcast or guests they want to hear from. If you would like to be a guest on the show or know someone you'd like to hear from, please email me at grantstukey at gmail.com. Also, please visit our website, everydayoralsurgery.com, if you'd like to search the podcast in an easier way by topic. We'd like to hear from everyone and really appreciate you guys listening. Keep in mind that everything we're discussing here is based on personal experience and opinions, so please supplement everything you're learning here with approved research studies. Without further ado, please enjoy today's episode. All right, welcome to another episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. Today I'm with Dr. Brian Farrell. He is an oral maxillofacial surgeon practicing in Charlotte, North Carolina. Brian, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Grant, good to be here. Good to see you. Good to be here. Excellent. Yes. We connected a little bit at Amos. It was great to talk to you and to attend some of the, the lectures and things that were going on there. So yeah, great, great to reconnect with you. Can you give us just a brief history of your training and your current practice setup? Yeah, well, the New Orleans thing is, is sort of uh, ironic leading into the conversation because I actually trained in New Orleans. So it was oh. it was fun to actually be back in New Orleans for a bit. But going further back, I grew up in the Midwest. I'm from Iowa. I'm a Hawkeye from Iowa. My father was an oral surgeon. Ironically, he did jaw surgery on my roommate in college. I had an opportunity to see my father operate on my roommate. And then I spent six weeks with my roommate during the recovery when he was wired together. And, you know, I wasn't in the recovery, but I remember the blender. I remember the, you know, no telling what was growing on the roof of his mouth or tongue back in those days. I'm an old man. I went to the University of Iowa Dental School. And then after that, uh, to New Orleans again, like I just mentioned, trained down at uh, Charity Hospital. LSU residents um, are fortunate. We rotate to Charlotte, North Carolina. I was fortunate to rotate up and spend some time with Myron Tucker, um, Dan Spagnoli, Dale Mizick. So I was the resident in Charlotte literally 20 years ago. They let on that they liked me and I liked it. And subsequently, when uh, kicking around where to end up in the world, I ended up going back to North Carolina and have been here now 18 years. So the second part of your question, what practice is about, I am now based on attrition. The older individuals have have moved on and retired. So based on the attrition, I've risen to the top and I am the eldest of the surgeons here at uh, Carolina Center for Oral and Facial Surgery. We have a a multi-group practice, multi-office, multi-specialty. We employ prosthodontists. We employ chronic uh, pain and TMJ conservative specialists. We have anesthesiologists, all kinds of people in town. So pretty, pretty proud about uh, kind of the, the organization that we put together. That's awesome. Wow. What a blessing to have worked and trained under some legends like uh, Myron Tucker and Dan Spagnoli. Dr. Tucker has been on the podcast. He's always been kind of a really good person I've always looked up to. I love how he's such a dynamic speaker, super cool guy. Absolutely. He's a, he's without a doubt a mentor. Obviously, uh, dad's number one. And uh, my brother is actually, I have a younger brother who does exactly the same thing that I do. Wow. I couldn't shake him. He went to the same undergrad I went to. He went to the same 
dental school I went to. He same, went to the same residency I went to. I haven't been able to shake the guy. But anyway, I've got a younger <laughs> brother that's in the practice with me. But yeah, dad, dad's mentor, number one. Actually, my brother's probably two. But yeah, Myron Tucker is there, Dr. Jack Kent in LSU, and just, uh, again, been very fortunate. And, you know, I, I, I'm the proverbial right guy at the right time. So it's it's been really good. That's awesome. Very, very cool. And, and you get along with your brother pretty well, sounds like you're not. Uh... Uh, talk to him every day. Listen, I, nice. I can make the joke that um, I'm taller, smarter, better looking, all that stuff. But if you asked him, he'd say the same thing in reverse and. He'd say, you know, we always say you're seeing the right feral. If you're in the, if you're in my office, you're seeing the right feral. If you're in his office, you're seeing the right feral. So yeah, we've got a good little kind of back and forth. It, it works out really, really well. So, but yeah, we talk all the time and we talk about, uh, you name it. It could be sports. It could be the day. It could be this patient, that patient. So it's, 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 there's a lot of, uh, we talk all the time. So it's, it's, it's a great thing. Highly recommend having a brother in the specialty with you. <laughs> yes, which I do. My younger brother is in his residency. Nice. nice. Where's he? Is he out at UCLA too? He did UCLA at, for dental school like me. And then he went to Case Western for his nice. residency. So he's with Dr. Koreshi out there. Oh yeah. I know Fossil really well. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So coming back to the mentorship side of things, all of us are very fortunate to get to train by people who have been in front of us and have learned, you know, how to do it and how not to do it and hopefully passing on positive things. And that just helps push uh, the specialty forward. So it's, it's, it's a, we're, we're very, all very fortunate. Yeah. So true. Well, very cool. I thought we could start a little bit by talking about maybe one of those topics you discussed at Amos to some extent, which was kind of doing corrective jaw surgery more as an outpatient and especially as a sleep apnea patient, probably those patients have more history of kind of being admitted or older, you know, more complications and stuff. But it sounds like you've had some success with doing outpatient. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So uh, just for the the listeners out there, I happen to run into Grant at Amos in the uh, exhibition hall. And it was right after I recorded a podcast for Amos. They they wanted me to talk a little bit about obstructive sleep apnea. And they wanted me to talk about it with the focus toward the layman, the focus toward the patient and such. So it's a bit awkward. I like to talk, but it's it's kind of awkward when, you know, it's sort of a stage thing and here's a little bit of a script and we don't want you to be too scripted, but we want you to kind of talk about this. But uh, long story, the concept of obstructive sleep apnea we all know that the oral surgeon has a huge seat at the table of, of helping those individuals with obstructive sleep apnea. Obviously, once they are uh, refractory to uh, conservative therapy, then the oral surgeon has a fantastic opportunity to help by moving the scaffolding forward, pulling things forward, opening airways, and, and anatomically, that can be obviously extremely beneficial. Ultimately, jaw surgery for obstructive sleep apnea is essentially jaw surgery that we would do if we were doing the correction of a, of a malocclusion. So it's right in the wheelhouse of the oral and maxillofacial surgeon. In our hands, listen, I've been very fortunate. We have a model where we actually do more jaw surgery in our office than we do the hospital. We've been doing jaw surgery in the office for about 14 years. Um, we now have in-house anesthesia. You know, people say, oh, it's 
it, it's, you know, you, the surgeon, that's why you can do it. And I think, no, the answer is we can do it because we have really good anesthesia who are good at, you know, making people safe and they're safe and they're comfortable, but that's rapid recovery. And so as you're finishing the procedure, those individuals are ready to go home. But ultimately to your question, we have now done roughly 14, 15 individuals uh, that have had triple jaws for diagnosed obstructive sleep apnea. We've performed maximum mandibular advancement surgery and genioglossus advancement surgery within our office. And those individuals after the completion of the procedure and a short bit of recovery in our recovery area have gone home and have spent the night in their own bed without telemetry, without ICU and so forth. Now we're not we're smart enough to say that that that's that's not for everybody, and we've got a model that's you know a decade and and we've learned sort of the the method to do it. But at the same time, all we are trying to do is sort of debunk the concept that you need ICU afterwards. We we all take a post op cone beam when we see them back after our MMA, whether it's the day after, which is how we do it in our hands, or whether it's a few days later or a week later. We all know that airways go from the size of a, of a pen and now are much, much bigger than a garden hose. So the, all we're simply trying to do is anatomically, we make some big, big changes from our advancement of the scaffolding. And because of the fact that you spend some time with these individuals prior, good surgical technique, good anesthesia, we've been able to illustrate that these people can go home. That's not for everybody. We're not, we're not saying that everybody needs to do that. All we're simply trying to do is debunk the myth that a person has to have extensive intensive care follow-up after you have jaw surgery like that. And there's got to be some benefits, of course, to the patient, right? By being in their own bed, it's, it's I'm sure it's, we've seen in the literature, all the, the good things that come with that. But what is your criteria for deciding, okay, this triple jaw case is a good candidate to go home? Well, I think that the the nice thing, the luxury that we have is um, I don't make that decision, meaning I, I wasn't the first person that says, oh, we should do this in the office. I think a lot of it comes down to where patients are going to get the best coverage and reimbursement from their insurance company. That's probably one. Number two is where they feel comfortable. And so the luxury that we have is I will treat you wherever you want me to treat you, whether it's the hospital or whether it's in our surgery center. So most of these individuals have literally selected having the surgery here. Now, if I looked at them and said, holy hell, you're, you're not the person for this place, we're going to push them to the hospital. But at the same time, if we feel it's their, their ASA, they don't have a lot of comorbidities, then yeah, we feel pretty comfortable delivering it anywhere because we all know as oral surgeons, once the anesthesia team has them comfortable, once they're draped and all we see is essentially their Batman lower face, it's the same incision. It's the same cut that allows us to mobilize the jaw. We now have the opportunity to use digital and virtual planning to understand where it goes. So now we reposition it based on the plan. Everyone gets essentially the same plates, the same screws that hold it together. And because of that sort of methodical efficient type manner, you can you can go in and do a, a triple jaw and, and be done in a couple hours, two, two and a half hours with truly the, the, the bone part, the carpentry part, little closure, but essentially they're under anesthesia for about three, little over three hours. 
but the anesthesia team is is huge and is is certainly the the key to this but that allows quick recovery as soon as we are sort of putting the last stitch in they're extubated watch them closely and ultimately when they feel like they're comfortable and ready to go home their escort feels like they're comfortable and ready to go home they're going to go home and now remember we're not we're not sending them out on an island we're touching base with them where they've got all contact information. And so uh, again, it, we're not trying to illustrate that we're Maverick out here at the same time. It's worked well in the beginning. Nice. Okay. And what tips or advice do you have for young surgeons who kind of are looking to repeat some of the things that you've established here with your corrective jaw surgery patients? Ultimately, again, let's circle back to kind of that mentorship stuff. I was very fortunate to essentially be the fellow under Spagnoli and Tucker for a couple of years when I was doing my associateship. Back then, being an old guy, the associateship was two years. That all went away. And then as soon as I basically, my brother came aboard, he essentially became the quote unquote fellow. And we now um, are very fortunate to be in the 15th year of our fellowship. But I think that the thing to do is to to just understand your passion and and if if jaw surgery or or this type of stuff is something you have an interest in, come on down. We we oftentimes um, have individuals from um, all over the country that have come down truly to see the model. Sometimes you can use vendors, get your vendor that helps you with plates and screws. They can help. Uh, foot a bit of the tab, so to speak, and come on down and spend a little bit of time. And honestly, when you come down to see us, I'm not going to teach you anything surgical that you probably don't already know from your residency or your your fellowship or your practice. But I I think it gives you an opportunity to learn the model. And I I think that that's very intriguing for us at at CCOFS is I I think we found a model that we believe can be replicated throughout the country. And that model is learn how to do it in-house. And that way you can avoid the hospital. You can avoid the uh, block time. You can truly have a lot of autonomy doing it in your office. And we now are very fortunate to be not only do jaw surgery, not only do the triple jaws for OSA, but we do all our arthroscopy in the office. Um, we do, we have uh, prostodontists that are doing our full arch in office. We do cleft lip and palate take hips in our office. And so about 64% of our major surgical cases are in our office. That's awesome. Can you talk just a little bit about your fellowship for those who are in residency and you know considering doing a fellowship in orthognathic surgery? Listen, let me back up. I think from the outside perspective, I think people feel like it's Farrell's fellowship. Okay. Uh, that's one thing. And I, I, you literally spend the most time with me, but I, I think that's what probably I'm most proud about is I've actually now kept um, four fellows in town. And so not only are you doing orthognathic with me, but you're getting to do orthognathic with my partners, Peter Franco, Jim Howell, John Wessel, Michelle Zuccalillo. But the, the fellowship has expanded over the years to now where you're getting a ton of exposure to arthroscopy and total joint with John Nail and Dan Cook. You're getting uh, full arch stuff with our prosthodontist, Hunter Dawson. You're getting cleft lip and palate with Rick Capitan and Dan Cook and, 
and so forth. So anyway, my point is we, we feel like the fellowship's quite well-rounded where uh, several years ago we found there was enough business, so to speak, to separate it from one to two fellows. So we now are in our third year of having three fellows and our fellows are generally getting out with at least um, over 450 to ultimately 500 major surgical cases when they leave. And that, and listen, that's not to ooh and ah, it's to tell you that when you add and you have a, a surgeon group like myself that has truly 25 oral surgeons spanning a hundred mile radius, there's a lot to do. So there's a lot to do at the fellowship. Uh, if anyone has interest, like I said, come on down, come spend some time with us. That's awesome. Sounds like just tons of a good scope and lots of different surgeons and ways to see things. I'm sure you get them running pretty quick uh, once they get there, but yeah, it sounds like a great experience. Yeah. They, the, I think the fellows, we give them a ton of autonomy, meaning they are licensed. And so essentially they can go to the operating room uh, with our resident that comes from LSU and take out teeth that are necessary. They have the ability to handle trauma on their own. They have the ability to, of course, train infections. And so that doesn't require the attending to be present. Now, they know they can call us and we're more than happy to come help them with anything. But I mean, these are wonderful individuals that truly have knowledge and skill that they can handle most of that stuff on their own. And from an educational standpoint, they're now or truly in those rooms when they're doing the trauma, it's them and the resident. I mean, they now kind of take on the attending role. And so uh, we give them a, a, a ton of autonomy. When they're operating with us, they are truly the first assistant. And I think most, I think the world is probably going to go to more fellowships. Now, listen, I could get off my soapbox here, but you know, I, I have a little bit of problem with the oral and maxillofacial surgery world and how they view fellowships. And, you know, that'll probably be a record scratch if some of the people from higher up listen to this podcast grant. But, you know, if you think about the neurosurgical world or you think about the ENT world, the, you know, you're, you're, it's it's good to do fellowships. Fellowships mean more education. They mean more expertise. They mean more exposure. In the oral maxillofacial surgery world, it can be head and neck, it can be cosmetics. But if you want to do something core like orthognathic surgery, and I'm giving air quotes here, they're going to say that's core. You were supposed to get that in your residency training. Well, the truth is, why would we punish someone who wants to get more exposure to something core? You may have got it in your fellowship and, or excuse me, your residency. But why are we punishing them and not accrediting places that want to help illustrate methods and techniques and, and, and so forth? But yet people are punished and it's viewed. I just think the fellowship, unless you're doing head and neck or doing cosmetics, fellowship in oral and maxillofacial surgery is kind of frowned upon. And that's, that's such the wrong mentality. I think probably Mark Inglestad has talked a lot about this and, and Mark's great about that. Uh, in terms of his understanding and knowledge of it and way he he expresses it we we ought to be more we ought to be more accepting and we ought to be more we ought to be more positive and optimistic and pushing fellowships because there are people who do want to spend more time getting more experience and more exposure yeah that's a really good point because i think that's probably a generalized or, or very common 
view of a fellowship, especially of a core type fellowship of like, oh, well, do you need more training? Do you know, and maybe you kind of look down on yourself for thinking you, you do, but it shouldn't be that way. The mentality should be, uh, this can really propel me to be able to do more types of surgery like this with this extra experience. No, great point, Grant. I mean, just think about this. If you're, if you're an oral surgeon that finishes residency and you go out and, and you truly want to do orthognathic surgery, well, the issue is you, you go out and you start to meet referrals and you start to get an individual that comes to your office. Now you're going to talk to them and it's going to be a year before they're probably ready to go. And so you can only imagine skills deteriorate. Oh my gosh, I haven't done this. I'm nervous as hell. Here we go. It's hard. And we all know that oral surgery in the world of oral surgery is the residency is training you to do a ton. And then as you get out and practice, listen, you can decide what you want to do. If you want to do teeth, wonderful. If you want to do this, wonderful. Do whatever you can, trying to keep your scope as broad as you can. But we all know the pressure in the walls from the outside continue to push you in. And so those individuals that simply want to get more exposure to it and more technique with it and understanding the business of it and so forth, we, we ought to be more positive and, and receptive to it and, and, and let more individuals spend time in fellowship. The other thing about this is, remember, these individuals are now choosing to take a year where they're going to, you know, you're, you're not going to get the reimbursement you would if you truly went out and became a, a private practice individual. You know, you're, you think about the, the loss of a year of income, doing a fellowship basically sets you back another year. So kudos to those that are out there doing it, whether it's head and neck or whether it's cosmetics or whether it's ours, which is not accredited. By the way, we tried to get ours accredited and they they claim that we're too core, and that's sort of a shame. And like I said, there's where the asterisk will come up, and people are going to flag this uh, podcast, and I'll probably get all kinds of emails. <laughs> probably disappear by tomorrow. No, no, just <laughs> exactly. I'll get all these. E- I mean, we should listen. Just hey, let's have a discussion about it. There's there's no yeah. reason to be angry. Let's just talk about it. Yeah, I certainly wish the stigma or the the thought process around a fellowship was different you know when i was training because in a lot of ways the the thought process of people around me was oh you do a fellowship if you can't make up your mind what you want to do when you're done with residency and that is you know we're all the menly men who you know are dominant we make up our minds and we don't want to be stigmatized with that which is just too bad that it was the case. I think it's changing a lot more. A lot of our guests have, have really talked about how the world is changing in, in that regard. But it, certainly it should be, hey, I folk, you know, and residency helped me to determine what I want to do in a specific area or these certain things. And here's some extra training that can really get me to the next level. Yeah, I, I concur 100%. Awesome. Because I get daily emails from listeners. I'd say probably 60-70% of my listeners are residents or dental students. And the residents are constantly emailing me, asking questions to try to determine what should I do after residency. And there's just so much angst, confusion, and you know, people calling me, emailing me, and I, I you know, can only do so much. But what what do you advise for you know young people like this who 
have a desire to do a lot of different things, but can't really figure out which one, you know, what, what avenue to go into. What a unbelievable question, Grant. I mean, that there, there's so many ways we could go on this. A lot of it has to do with the exposure you've had in residency, just like you mentioned. And, you know, sometimes you get a calling and the calling may be head and neck surgery. The calling may be cosmetics. The calling may be orthognathic. The calling may be to, uh, to go open your shingle and, and just be that individual is going to take great care of your community with uh, removal of wisdom teeth and, and implants. And by the way, that was my dad. My dad literally had, I believe, the best of careers. And he was a guy that just served his community for years. And everybody knew him because he was that he was the guy that just took out everyone in the town's wisdom teeth. But, you know, it comes down to um, particularly if you're, you know, I, I, I think the pendulums move forward as, as opposed to waiting until the end of residency. I would highly recommend that people begin to look at this earlier in residency. And I simply mean, listen, if you're, we know you're busy. In residency, we've all been there and it's up and down the ladder. It's up and down the totem pole of being in control and then you're a resident, being in control and you're an intern, being, you know, whatever. But I, I think there's, my, my suggestion is tackle this where you have time and, and simply meaning, you know, if you have a window when you're on a medical school rotation, why wouldn't you go and see a head and neck program? Why wouldn't you go out and spend time with a good friend, Brian Bell in Portland? Why wouldn't you go see cosmetics, you know, go out and invest it. it. It may not be for you, but it may be for you. And then the truth is, I think most people would prefer to, to kind of make decisions, not on the kind of the fly and at the end and, you know, shit or get off the pot type stuff, but, you know, why not to sort of learn about this earlier? And then, you know, the path gets set and now the luxury of not only the resident coming out, they now have a better path of what they're doing, but it's going to help the oral and maxillofacial surgeon that's already out understand who's coming. And now that helps shape how the business goes for them in a couple of years. So I, I, I think my suggestion is go out, see it all, do it all, explore it all, but do it earlier than waiting till like, listen, in my world, it was probably what I, I'm going to say March of my chief year when I finally decided what to do. And I, I just think that the earlier we push it, the earlier it's, it's better for everybody. Yeah. A lot of fellow other fellowship directors that we've had on the podcast say similar things about, you know, let's get you in here early, get to know you. It benefits all of us. You get to see what we're about. We kind of get to know you if you decide to do what kind of what we're doing stuff like that. So I think you're, saying the right stuff to help people out. Yeah. And, and listen, I'm a little bit different than maybe the head and neck people. And I don't know exactly how the, the cosmetic people do the fellowship, but listen, we, we just interviewed individuals in New Orleans and I will tell you top to bottom, the individuals that we interviewed are, are just fantastic. And in fact, so much that if it was me in that place, I'm, I'm sure I probably wouldn't get an interview. I mean, they, they were there. Everyone's just so good. So polished. So uh, it's, it's very awesome to think about it from the oral and maxillofacial surgeon perspective, because there are so many wonderful people in the pipeline that are going to 
continue to move this forward. And, you know, that's that's the role of the educators, the fellowship directors is to slingshot these people forward. But there's a lot of opportunity. And as those people are trying to decide where to go, find the match, find what you like, figure out where you want to live. And honestly, gosh, you're going to do well. You really do well. Speaking of trying to make decisions early, you know, what counsel do you give to the dental student who's trying to determine, you know, should I do the single or the double degree? Ooh, boy, what a great question. I know, Grant, do you look back and do you, do you regret any of your decisions? I mean, you know, I know who you are. Do you, do you regret what you did? No, I mean, I think maybe wish I would have had some more exposure to things, but I'm, you know, happy where I'm at. I think there's so many balls in the air that I was juggling and I, and I chose to do that. You know, I had children and, and wife and kids. And so that makes it more complicated and it's, you got to determine everything, but I, you know, I did a single degree and no fellowship and I love what I do. Yeah, no, I, I listen, I think that that's, that's perfect. And that's, that is the best answer that it's the best answer for you. And it's, it's a great answer for many of the listeners. A lot of it depends. Listen, I was listening to a podcast the other day and that podcast, the the person on the podcast was pretty adamant that if you wanted to do something like head and neck, they, they thought it was very important that you had the MD, that you had the standing of being a medical doctor. And that way you had the ability to kind of sit at the table with the ENT and the plastics and that type of stuff. I think that it, it depends on, I don't know, it depends on where you want to, where you want to live, where you want to train. Do you want to, do you want to do bigger things? You know, I, I'm very fortunate to have a, a great mix of partners here with me that half of them are, have a dual degree and half of them don't. And, you know, we don't put a, we don't put an X on their chest that says they're not this or not that or vice versa. It makes no difference, meaning you can be a wonderful oral maxillofacial surgeon no matter which path you choose to go. But in my hands, um, I, I wouldn't change anything that I've done. My program only was a dual degree. I appreciate the exposure and, and what I got from the medical school side. Now, at you know two in the morning when I'm on my OBGYN rotation, delivering a baby with or someone seeing someone with round ligament pain i'm not quite sure what i'm doing but at the same time i wouldn't i wouldn't take any of that back so yeah i i, I think it's it's all personal preference do what you want to do and it's it's that same kind of step off the cliff if you decide that you like this program and it's a single degree but you like this program you like the people in the program you like the residents in the program go for it if you feel like you want to do something bigger and so forth, and it may benefit you in the future to do it, then maybe you look to a program that has the dual degree, but be a solid oral surgeon, no matter what you do. Yeah. Great answer. Totally agree with, with uh, everything that you're saying. And it's just, so there's so many different individual things you have to take into account. I think there's a lot of the FOMO, the, the fear of, oh, if I don't do the double degree, what if this door closes and that door closes? And so I have to do everything and leave every possible door open because I can't decide right now what doors I want to walk through down the road. 
And some people are like that, but then other people are like, I know what I want to do. And so it's not a big deal for me. This is a whole different tangent, but the, you know, kind of the the thought process of oral and maxillofacial surgery is remember if, if you're coming in to truly replace an individual who's been practicing for 20, 25, 30 years, you know what practice you're taking over. You know what that individual has done. Now, maybe you can come in and say, hey, we haven't done, I'm just, you remember, I'm the, I'm the jaw surgery guy. So let's just use that as an example. So, hey, you like this individual, you like this town, and this individual has never done any jaw surgery. So now I'm going to come back to town. Well, it's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be a lot of work talking with referrals and things. And so I just think you, every situation is different. And, but you just got to understand it. If you have a desire to come in and, and change what happens in that practice to make it a jaw surgery practice, by the way, I don't think a single degree or a dual degree makes any difference in that regard. But at the same time, just, just understand maybe how you envision your career path. If you're going to go back and join my father in the Midwest it'd be really hard to kind of get the jaw surgery up and going when it it's, it's never been in place for 20 years, sort of as the insurance stuff got, he's like, he did a ton. And then he's like, it's not worth doing it anymore. If you're going to join a practice that already does it and it's kind of part of the model, then I truly think that you're going to get plugged in, whether you have a single degree or a dual degree, it won't make any difference. I, I just think it it probably comes down to, some people have pride. It's important to them to have it. But I just think a lot of it has to do with what you ultimately want to end up doing when you, what do you want to do when you grow up? That's that's probably the biggest, that's the best answer or the best question. What do you want to do when you grow up? Because I think that maybe you have to look in the distance and then work backwards and then decide which path gets you there faster. Now, no one's going to be upset if you say, this is what I want to do. And you're literally thought it was to the left and it happened to be the right. You know, no one, no one, no one's going to complain about that. You just, it's you and family and all that stuff. So. Yeah. There's certainly a lot of guesswork as to what you want to do, but I feel like you, by doing what you're saying and getting yourself as much exposure to as much as you can, you just kind of take out as much of the guesswork as you can because you're just seeing tons of stuff. So. Yeah. and, and, And I think that's, you know, like you mentioned your listeners dental students, uh, residents. Remember, residency affords you the opportunity to truly see it all and to do it all. And, you know, take advantage of it. It's strange, but if you're going to go do an orthognathic case and you're like, I have no interest in doing orthognathic case, guess what? Go learn orthognathic and go spend time and understand it because it's just important to kind of understand the breadth and the management and all that sort of stuff, because ultimately you're going to be you're going to be asked about it on an exam that gets you board certified and accredited. But you know, take take advantage of all the opportunities you have because it's the same thing. Listen, you've got kids, I've got kids, and I'm a competitive guy. Um, I like sports and all that sort of stuff, and that's the kind of the thing that as you're sitting there with your watching a middle school soccer game, you're not going to play the sport the rest of your life go do it, have fun. I mean, obviously have fun, but enjoy it and see it and experience it because, you know, you're going to get old and fat like me and not be able to do any of this stuff. So while you're in residency, 
take advantage of it, have fun and see it all and, and understand it all. And if you truly see it all and do it all, now you're, now you have insight. Now you have understanding. And if you choose, Hey, that's not for me. Well, brilliant. It's not for you, but you've experienced it and know it's not for you. And then you can kind of whittle it and, and, put it where you want it and go where you want it. But that way you've, you've seen it all. Uh, it'd be a shame to get there and say, hi, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never, I've never seen it. I've never exposed to it. So anyway. Totally. And just to piggyback on that, I think it, it took me a little while in residency to realize how much kind of control I had over what I was learning. I think when our first day there, you know, Dr. Maloro gave us a speech about how we we want drivers in this program, not passengers in the bus of residency. And you're kind of like, okay, I'm not really sure what that means. But after a while, I started realizing, you know, what it meant to kind of take proactive control of my education. And if I started realizing, hey, if I want to do a, I don't know, like a CSIlogram or something, I can start looking for that and, and some, some work of my own could, could usually drum up what I want to see. And I could generally talk my attendings into doing stuff that, you know, that maybe they didn't routinely do. And so I started saying, Hey, I can actually shape my education. I'm not just here showing up, you know, with my mouth open and they're sticking the spoon in with the food every day. Although there's some of that in every residency, but yeah, there, there, there's certainly some of that, but I, I think that's a great point. You know, remember uh, the the residency program is is you know it's it's got these these steps, right? You've got the you've got to do this amount of months of medicine. You've got to do this amount of months of of this. You've got to do this amount of months of oral surgery. And you know, for those individuals that are behind you and me, Grant, the answer is make the most of it. And if you make the most of it, then I think it helps you make an educated decision of what you want to ultimately do. Once again, use that soccer analogy. Listen, I loved my head and neck exposure when I was in residency. I just, it didn't call to me and tremendous anatomy, tremendous understanding of how to take care of people. But, you know, I go to lectures, I'm at Amos and watching these people do this stuff. And I'm like, I move the mandible like six millimeters. Is that's that's what I do. And I, I just, you know, it's just, it's so impressive what people are doing, and it's it's unbelievable how great it is. And kudos. It's not for me, but everyone needs to find out what's for them. Well, good. I think that's been a good discussion, and hopefully that helps some of our younger listeners kind of think about things and you know figure out ways to make decisions for the future. We end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. So my first one, my first one for you is what is the best book you've read in the past year? The best book I've read in the past year is probably one of these books I've I've sat on the side of my bed of my daughter and read. Thea Stilton. Okay. Are you, are you familiar with that? No, what is that? Thea Stilton is just this series about mice. I'm not kidding. It's about mice and Listen, that's not the best book I've read, but that, that's the one I read last night with my daughter. And that's the one that kind of popped in my head under pressure. I read a lot of books with my daughter. And by the way, that's another thing I'm sure you know this, Grant, is, you know, make your kids voracious readers, make them, make them just love reading. In yes. terms of the one that I've, the terms of the one I've read recently, I'm on the parameters of care. 
for the skeletal deformity section. So it seems like the last like four to six weeks, I've been reading oral surgery, oral surgery, oral surgery, oral surgery, and oral surgery. And that's wonderful, but I feel like I'm studying for my board exam and that's been a little bit brutal. But yeah, the deep book I've read, I don't know, buddy. I don't, it's been a while since I've read a book that, that I wanted to read a book for. Yes. I love the Theus Stilton. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a children's book and, and probably half the people out there are going, what in the hell is he talking? Geronimo Stilton, by the way, half the, half the people will be like, this guy's an idiot. Geronimo Stilton, Thea Stilton. It's this, it's this series that talks about mysteries and it has to do with mice. It's basically like, remember we, Stuart Little was probably the mouse that we, we knew growing up. This is just a different take on that. And it is totally a kid's book. It's it, but it's a, it's got some illustrations. It's a pretty good read. That's awesome. <laughs> How do you make your kids voracious readers? Do you just reading with them or what do you recommend? Yeah, I think in the beginning, I think the beginning you it's reading to them, obviously. And then as they get to that level, it's it's not only reading to them, but then you know, passing the book to them. So they read a bit. And then I think once they begin to read, there's such an advantage to them seeing you read. And so I may be reading a Listen, I know we're all in the digital world on laptop. There's nothing better than, you know, printing out an article and sitting there and and reading it in a journal or something like that. And ultimately, my daughter, I sit with my daughter and she's reading and I'm reading and I'm reading something that sometimes is quite stale. But at the same time, I think seeing the continuation of the reading is important. So that's just the way we've done it. What forceps do you use to extract tooth number five? Yeah, universal. Yeah. Okay. You're not the ash. Hell no. I just from an <laughs> angle perspective, from a from a engineering perspective, from a no offense, and you no one on the podcast can see this, but an ash over here, just you've got your you've got your if you're a righty, you've got your arm underneath yourself. You can't do it with an ash. You have to come from the from the mouth. So, okay. listen, think this thing through. It can't be an ash. It's got to be a universal and. I'm hoping it's, you know, for me, I'm hoping it's extremely periodontally involved so I can get it yes. out. I hope it doesn't have, you know, broken off. It's not, you know, apple core. So it cracks and now I'm left with just a root. But the answer is it's an it's a universal upper 150 to take out that tooth. It can't be an ash. Okay. I love this. This is like you, I mean, would you listen, would you take it out with an ash? <laughs> of course I would. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't because you you can't get that. I mean, it's just it's not the right angle. You're you're now literally working. You're literally you're literally working your right arm underneath your your it's in the middle of your gravity. It's not ergonomic. It's not right. So, you know, I'm not the I'm not the big tooth taker outer, but I, I'm pretty confident it's the universal. And then when it breaks off, then maybe you're grabbing it with uh, hopefully a, a Ron Jur to, to, yeah. to grab what's left. But yeah, those. We all get beat down by the removal of teeth. You know, we favorite movie or TV show. What is it for you? Oh, wow. Okay. Favorite movie. I mean, do you want me crying at this point, Grant? Am I, am I crying kind of like a Shawshank Redemption type thing? Yes, am be, I... be vulnerable for us. Favorite movie. Shawshank Redemption's 
really good, but you know, that's got me in tears. I've seen it, you know, anytime it's on T you're, what you're asking okay. me, is, if this is on TNT or TBS, am I changing the channel? I mean, that's pretty <laughs> much what you're asking. Right. And, and I'm there and I'm like, okay, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen this a hundred times, but I'm going to continue to watch it. I think Indiana Jones classic the first one the first indiana jones is is ridiculous listen i enjoyed what i just mentioned uh last mohicans that'll make you cry again uh, that's oh that's good. awesome yeah the last mohicans is good and i just saw that was literally like the maybe that's on my mind because i think it was just released like 27 years i mean to this date like 25 27 30 years ago you know i like move i don't get to see a lot of them but that that's a great question. Um, you know, funny stuff these days, you know, my kids, and we'll watch this um, Jumanji. Yeah. Just that Jumanji stuff is hysterical these days. I mean, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, and and uh, Kevin Hart, I mean, Jack Black. I mean, that stuff, I, listen, I could sit down and watch that because it's just funny, stupid humor. And it's it's actually brilliant. It, so it fills good. time. Fugitive, also with Harrison Ford. Oh, uh, yeah. Last question. What is your favorite quote? Ooh, all the best. All the best. Okay. Explain so, that. Well, if you, if you look at uh, like, for example, when we were having correspondence, you'll notice my tag is all the best. And I've actually used all the best as a tagline for, well, since I got an email account and it is, it is based on, all the best works for everything. And what I mean is, you know, it's better than, I don't know. It's just, it just simply means all the best as in, I, I want all the best for you. So all the best, I say it. I mean, that is, that is literally, in fact, my fellows make a joke. They're like, you know, when they finish something, they're like all the best in the OR, they all know my, my, my mannerisms and they all know my lines and they all, and guess what? They all say all the best now because <laughs> all the best is what every time someone leaves, I'm like all the best, all the best, because I mean it, I mean all the best. So that's a, it's not a real quote. It's just kind of a, maybe a sign off, but all the best. Yeah. I like What's that. Yours? Yeah. What's yours? Favorite quote. I really like that a lot. I, one of my favorites is nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. I feel like that's a great one for our patients and just, you know, connecting with them on a, a level like you're talking about that's not maybe surgical first. And then they, you know, being able to talk to them about surgery type stuff. I feel like even just a couple questions about their life or joking. All of a sudden, it you know calms them down. It just makes the whole thing different than if I just cut straight into, all right, here's the potential for nerve injury you're about to experience. You know, stuff like that. Well, I mean, you you probably you probably appreciate this with me, Grant. So during the during the pandemic, I used to sit next to some partners who were doing some Zoom consults, um, and as I listened to it, you know, they were they were given their typical third molar consult. And I, I'm on your side. I, I thought it was a little bit, it's a little bit sort of rigid, so to speak. And here's what can happen. I truly, if I have a consult period, half of it, half of it, in fact, this is one of my taglines and everyone knows this. I always say, what would you be doing if you weren't seeing me right now? 
Mm-hmm. And that is the opening to, okay, hey, if I'm pulling you from school, what would you be doing if you were in school? And they're like, oh, I'd be in math right now. And I always say, oh, we'll talk slow then, right? <laughs> so you don't have to go back to school. Or if you're done for the day, we'll talk fast so you can get out of here. If you're in work, we'll talk slow. You don't have to go back to work. I literally, in fact, it's it's truly amazing the difference between what I heard on the Zoom consult during, you know, this is a couple of years ago. And now I literally, mine is more super get to know you, super, you know, how are you? How's school? How's life? You know, yeah. what would you watch? That type of stuff. And then, yeah, let's let's get into some of the, the stuff we're supposed to talk about. But I just find, and maybe listen, I'm, I'm 18 years into this and maybe that, that has obviously changed from day one to where I am now, but I, I actually agree with you. I, I spend more time on the, the socialization side than I do kind of the knit and gritty and, you know, each one's going to find their path and what works best for them. But I, I agree with you, nothing better than learning about them and they know you and they know you're going to take great care of them when they walk out. 100% agree. Well, Brian, you're the man. Thanks for taking the time to do this with me. I think it's been helpful for me and our listeners. So I appreciate it. Yeah, well, listen, I don't, you know, I maybe next time give me an outline or a script and I will stay with it. I know we have literally been left. We've been right. We've been north. We've been south. And I apologize to all those out there listening because... Uh, <laughs> I, well, yeah, we've been awesome. with Matt. But anyway, listen, I appreciate it. Um, I'm a I'm a I'm a listener and uh keep doing what you're doing. It's great. And I, I think it's wonderful that there's this this thing that uh, helps people understand what oral surgery is. And there are some great people in this business, and there's it, it's such the it's an unbelievable specialty. It is the best specialty, and I'm speaking to the choir. Um, so kudos to you for what you're doing and Keep up the good work, and hey, if you if you feel I can help you uh, talk about a movie or you know ask me what better book I've got down the road, please reach out. I'd be more than happy to chat again. Will do. Sounds good. You're the man. Thank you, Brian. Hey, watch this, and this is not a cliche. Grant, all the best. <laughs> yes. Thank you. All the best, buddy. Same to you. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. Once again, please email me at grantstukey at gmail.com if you have any topics you'd like to hear about, guests you'd like to hear from, or if you yourself would love to be a guest, please, please email me or text me at 720-441-6059. And also just love hearing from people if you enjoy the podcast or, you know, learn something from it or talk to a friend or connected with someone because of the podcast. That just makes my day. So please shoot that correspondence over to me and I will see you on the next episode. Thank you.